0: There's a lot of things that can't be solved. We can't resolve questions of the point at which life begins. We can't resolve the questions of Mitty's peace. We can't resolve climate change issues right now. I wish we could. But this, man, this is kid stuff. This one can be fixed. Let's fix one thing and move on to the other more complicated issues in life.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Christopher Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance in St. Paul, Minnesota. Today, I'm bringing back John Chambers, partner at Connexon. Welcome back.
0: Thanks, Chris. Great to be with you again.
1: It's great to have you back. I was just looking. I think it's been a year since we talked. I don't know that we went that long for a while without checking in. And uh, uh, last time we talked, it was about what we should be doing with federal broadband dollars. Today, we'll be talking about what's going to be happening with federal broadband dollars. Um, it's pretty much all out there. And uh, now we have a structure to work within. You have some thoughts, some concerns, and uh, I'm looking forward to addressing those and commiserating. <laughs> but um, a quick 30-second reminder, what is on?
0: Thanks. Yeah, I, I, I think it's been so long because the last time I was on your podcast, you you made a comment about how I was the most frequent visitor <laughs> on your podcast. And since you know, I don't even like the sound of my own voice, I can't imagine most people would need to hear me that often. So so the break was was intentional, uh, but I'm glad to be back. Next time- OK,
1: well, and I'll just um, I'll just uh, <laughs> not remind you of that in the future, because one of the reasons we like having you on is people are interested in what you got to say.
0: So, Conexon, thanks for asking, um, is a company that was formed by my business partner, Randy Clint, in order to assist rural electric co-ops in building fiber infrastructure in rural America in order to bridge the digital divide.
1: And um, have you had any success? Do you have any metrics of, of whether you're making a difference out there?
0: The fundamental change in the landscape, rural broadband, over the last 5 to 10 years has not been more money. In fact, it's been about the same money year over year for the last 10 years as it will be for the next 10 years even with this new infrastructure bill. It hasn't been even the realization of the importance of broadband. I mean, I know there are those who have just waking up to the necessity of having good Internet access. It hasn't been that. It hasn't been any change in policy. Policymakers haven't gotten any smarter. Um, it's been the entrance into the industry by, by you know, charter com- wine, new bottles. Charter Spectrum.
1: That's what you're talking about. Charter Spectrum's doing rural, now the problem's solved.
0: <laughs> now, you've got, <laughs> now you've got rural electric cooperatives entering into the marketplace, doing what they have traditionally done, which is serve their members. And that's been the difference, that that there's nothing else that has been as impactful as the entrance into rural broadband by rural electric cooperatives.
1: And that's where, I mean, you've, you've helped me to like have a better sense of which states are going big on this. But I believe you um, when you say, and, uh, and you've said in the past, I mean, I think Mississippi and Arkansas are poised to go from some of the states that have the worst connectivity to some of the best. Now the money's out there, and it's up to those states. Uh, if they allocate it to the electric co-ops, uh, we're going to see tremendous growth above and beyond what we've already seen in terms of great growth.
0: Oh, so that touches on the most significant change in the law with the the new infrastructure act, uh, which is a shift of the spending, the decision making about the spending, from the federal government to the states. That that's that's now the whole ball game, and and you will see in that, you know, inconsistencies across the state. Although I've always uh, believed that inconsistency with the opportunity for good things happening is better than consistent bad things. Um, and, 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 you know, and that's really it. And now, now there's so much more, it's not self-reliance. I, I wish it were. Um, but it's reliance at a more and more local level, communities, counties, states, to the extent the states are going to make decisions, um, this is a real change uh, th- i mean this is that that's what to me the infrastructure bill how does it change things not the money the money has all has been spent at this level for for a decade it's been the locus of decision making that's what's shifted
1: so let's let's dive into it um i want to note that you uh were a proponent 2 years ago of a reverse auction to do a lot of this and since then, uh, I think a lot of us have come to a conclusion it is better for the states to be doing it. We're going to talk about some of the challenges the states will face in there. Um, but as we talk about the infrastructure bill, um, how do you want to how do you want to dive into this? What should we talk about first? Um, the infrastructure bills passed. We're two weeks past the signing. Um, how does it look from your point of view?
0: Yeah, I, by the way, I'm still a proponent of reverse auctions, um, but but like any program, any design, You've got to implement it correctly. You know, like, things are not self... Uh,
1: <laughs> foolproof, you know, I think, is the word. They're not foolproof.
0: <laughs> you know, you, you got to pay a little bit of attention. We don't wanna, you know, even if you're driving, a, an, you know, an automated car, you, you should still keep your hands on the wheel. So, um the, the, yeah, we're, we're, we're two weeks into the signing or whenever it was two, two and a half weeks since the president signed the bill. But the bill is the same bill that passed the Senate months ago. So we've known what has been in this bill for a while. And two weeks in, three weeks in, we already know some things. One of the things we know is they've already missed the deadlines. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's not a good start.
1: For people who aren't familiar, the deadlines you're talking about is that NTIA has some deadlines in which it has to develop some rules, and those are premised on some timelines at the Federal Communications Commission that they will not meet, and they're cognizant already that they will not meet in terms of having a map ready.
0: the The process and some of this is is uh, is a little bit fuzzy, but the process that at least the intention is that NTIA has six months to set out program guidelines, and then there will be applications for the funding by each state, the states are the applicants. Um, And so these program guidelines are going to be developed by NTIA. NTIA has to wait on the allocation, that is how much funding would go to each state. It has to wait under the provisions of this statute has to wait for the FCC to develop maps, new maps, that show unserved areas, unserved locations, households in the country because the allocation for each state is the percentage of your unserved housing units, let's call it, the percentage of your housing units that are unserved in your state as a percentage of the total in the nation. And and that's how you come up with the allocation. So under the statute, NTIA has to wait on the FCC. The FCC has to do it according, again, under the statute, according to the DATA Act, the DATA Act, which is an acronym for Make the Maps. And the FCC has, has recently revealed to those who weren't paying attention that it won't have maps in the next six months. So NTIA could come up with its guidelines in the next six months, but there won't be an allocation. So anybody that is expecting to have guidelines, have the states do their work in preparation, apply for money, you won't know the allocation. That is to say you won't know how much money you should be preparing for until the FCC completes its maps, and the FCC has already made it clear that its maps won't be ready in the next six months. That's what I meant by missing. It's not really what the deadlines say, but it's the expectation in the bill that the train is going and the first stop is the maps.
1: Let me let me challenge you to answer this question in brief. It's a little bit of a of an alley, and it is how does Ardoff play into this when the FCC releases these maps? If if a household is unserved and is supposed to get money under ARDOF that the FCC has not approved yet. Do you have any idea how the FCC would treat that household? Is it unserved or not unserved?
0: There's there's a lack of clarity in a lot of what the FCC is going to do. The I'd say the answer to your question is if it's unserved according to the self-reported data, it will still be unserved. Okay. So that, that, that's another... The FCC's new maps are still going to rely on 477 data, self-reported data by the telecom carriers as to whether they claim to provide a certain speed of
1: service. The difference is that they're going to have the polygons in this case, right? That's the new thing.
0: The new thing is is a, um, is a little weedy, and I apologize for it, um, but this is a new approach that, that is untested. And the only place that I know anybody tried it, which is Georgia. Um, I know Georgia's really proud of the maps. You know, if if you kind of squint your eyes and don't look too carefully, it looks all right. But if you ask any particular questions, it, it reveals how problematic this new approach is. The new approach will be no better than the old approach. In fact, in some cases, it will be far worse. But the new approach is to say... We're going to ask now under the 477 regime all of the providers, internet service providers, submit to the FCC every six months the geographic areas where they provide service, the technology they're using, and the speed that they can deliver. So instead of identifying that by census blocks, which has been the, the standard way for, I don't know, a decade longer, as long as I know, the folks submitting that is internet service providers will submit shape files the shape files being you know a geographic format that shows where so polygons that shows where you have service and then the fcc will you know put together all the shape files so an amalgam of overlapping overlaying shape files that will then reveal blank spots in the nations maps it's those blank spots that will be the unserved areas. That is where is nobody claiming to provide service according to self-reported shape files rather than self-reported census blocks. What that's meant to uh, uh, um, solve is the old problem of uh, when you're asked do you provide service according to census block and you say oh I have service available in that census block it's not do you have service in every single place in the census mm-hmm. block half the places one place anywhere in the census block contaminates effectively the whole census block it's meant to solve that problem right and if it solves that problem good it won't but you know if we were to solve that problem I you know I guess that's an achievement by that description you should understand then that what you need, and this gets to the delay, what you need in order to say, all right, I've got these blank spaces now. Imagine a map that's mostly covered across the country, but you have polygons of blank spaces. You have the negative of your photograph. And, the, and, and those polygons are the unserved polygons. Now, those polygons are not standard geographic units they're not census blocks or block groups or tracks
1: right some of them might be cemeteries and some of them might be apartment buildings and what you're about to say i think is we won't know which is which absent some other data set we can use with them.
0: you need you need then the missing ingredient and by missing i mean it's not available anywhere and so what a surprise that the fcc is now caught up in litigation you need to know service level address or housing unit address or apartment address you you need to know what those things are you and you need to know where they are with enough specificity that it allows you to place them in that in those blank polygons once you know that so those addresses once you have all of those addresses then okay you can do your calculation your calculation being they can send that information to NTIA, NTIA can do the, ca- the really simple calculation. I mean, this isn't even algebra. It's barely arithmetic, right? <laughs> it's, it's, it's division. It's not even long division. It's a really simple calculation, and guess what? You don't need a sophisticated map to do that calculation because it's all ratios. And the ratio of using existing 477 data and using new enhanced Shape file never been used four seventy seven data rounding the ratios ratio. will be more or less the same if right. they're off if they're different by say a percent or two mm-hmm. it's not necessarily so that that the new approach will be more accurate with respect to the ratio because it relies on data sets that have never been submitted, verified by the FCC before and i 'll give you one little example of what happened in the original data the FCC ever collected for the very first national broadband map, the first data set the FCC received, it threw out. Now, people learn over time, but sometimes they don't learn. And and the idea that, that we'll go through this now litigated process so what's under litigation is the fcc needed to go out and get this data set they needed to go out and get the data fabric that is what are we going to use in order to determine that the you know polygonal shapes that give you the the blank spots where we'll then use something whether it's housing units apartments whether it's businesses gas stations i don't know international airports whether they'll use that depends on the contract that they entered into with a company called CostQuest, which has been doing fcc modeling for the past decade and it's a good company reputable company and they awarded this 45 million dollar award to CostQuest, and then they faced a company that didn't win the award contested the award
1: i thought it was multiple companies working together to contest the award but i don't want to get lost oh, maybe. Uh, yeah, yeah.
0: I, I i don't you know i don't have i don't have the detail the detail isn't isn't all the detail isn't public, but there's 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 a challenge now, a contest, which now has to be resolved, mm-hmm. and that the work can go on, but it could also be delayed.
1: Right. Well, that's where. So let I me mean, let me ask you the, the the question, and then let's get out of mapping to get back to what states can do about all this, which is. Do you have a, does the FCC have wiggle room under the statute, or are they pinned by the statute, or can they just do whatever they want, and like no one really cares because statute is regularly fla- flouted by <laughs> agencies when they miss deadlines? If
0: it were me, I I would, if I were back at the FCC, I'd, I'd say, look, let's have a plan B. Let's come up with the piece that will hold everything up, that is, let's come up with the, the unserved by state and unserved by nation so that the calculations can be made by uh, NTIA. And let's do that. Uh, and if we can't do the other and somebody thinks that what we've done in Plan B is inconsistent with the act, Then let's get Congress to amend it, because Mm -hmm. the last thing Congress should want to do is delay things over a protest, a a protest that is natural part of the federal procurement process. And anybody that's gone through federal procurement knows that you never want to go through federal procurement ever again in your life, because it's, you know, layers and layers of rules that have been built up over time to protect the federal procurement process from So. Man, it's a bad process. So, so if I were the FCC, I'd be preparing the alternative in case things don't work out. Mm-hmm. And my alternative would be pretty simple. Again, it's just ratios. So, come up with a way. I don't need to lay it all out now. Yeah,
1: worst case scenario: some state gets ten million dollars more, some state gets ten million dollars less. Losing six months is a bigger deal than ten million dollars.
0: Oh, absolutely. And in the worst case scenario, let's say one state gets a little bit more or a little bit less. Congress could always make it up with a with a future appropriation if they thought that the state that got less. You know, it got was disadvantaged by by the. De- you're more disadvantaged by the delay than you are by the change in calculation. And w- all I'm talking about is if you say the the ratio of unserved census blocks, right? You could do that today. We right. we have a map up today. We have a publicly available map up today that shows unserved census blocks. We've done a calculation as to what the ratio would be, and therefore what what the actual allocation would be state by state. We've provided that because information.
1: We don't think the maps are off by a factor of three in Georgia and 20 in Wyoming, right? They're more or less off by a similar factor. So the ratio works, even though we don't have accurate data. And I, I agree with that hundred uh, percent.
0: Yeah, I, 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 I think that's exactly right. And again, I'm not, I'm not suggesting, Hey, chuck out the the data act approach to mapping and don't try it i'm not suggesting that at all i'm suggesting that the maps are hugely important but the calculation is not the maps the calculation is just numerically you know i you could work out a formula that gives you a close enough and 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 again my guess is you're within a percent or a couple of percent almost however you do the calculation so just do that to prepare, just to do that, mm-hmm. just, just in the contingency that you can't resolve the challenge in time.
1: Okay, so your state, um, rather than obsessing over things you can't control, what, are the, what should the states be doing right now?
0: You know, the states will need to begin to design programs so that when they uh, submit their application to NTIA, You know, they can get that approved and they can move forward and receive the funding. Um, (laughs) I think in a way, if you're waiting for NTIA to tell you what the program design should be, I I think you're making a mistake as a state. I think. Let me let me see if I can say this in a polite way. Um, Nah. Why should I do that? <laughs> um,
1: that's why. We, that's why we have you here, John.
0: <laughs> you know, there's there's a lot of allocation, um, of federal allocation formulas used to provide states with funding. It's 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 this isn't a new approach. That is the approach of here's the funding. How highway trust fund has allocation formulas, and 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 you know Congress fights about that every time there's a new highway trust fund authorized it. This you know, air, airports have the same thing. It's So So this is now an allocation for broadband, and the formula is not at issue. Uh, I mean, I, there will be some fights over the formula, the formula which involves not just the pure, what's unserved in your state compared to unserved across the nation, but this other high-cost booster, the 10% of money that would go to high-cost areas. So there's going to be some fight about what high-cost means what the high cost areas are and i and i guess those states that are high cost which are to say largely the western states largely the states not just mountainous um, like colorado that is terrain costly but less densely populated states have are higher cost because the cost we're really talking about is the cost to pass a household
1: Right. For instance, like, you know, you have states in which you're mostly dealing with rock. You're not able to just like in Minnesota, we have vast rural stretches, but you can just plow fiber into soft earth. In Maine, you're on granite. And in the Rockies, you're stuck with very hard rock all over the place. It's very difficult to get in. So like there's factors like that.
0: And but and you know, in high cost, it's high cost in Nebraska and Wyoming and Idaho. And because of. The low population density. So, when you're, if what you're building is, is say, fiber infrastructure, you need to account for the low population density. So, there's two elements. I mean, that when, when we do, when we've produced this map and made it or uh, this graph and made it public from time to time, there's really two elements that drive most of the cost per household. One, of course, is density, and the other is how much you can build overhead and how much you have to build underground. Um, Underground is always more expensive. And then the, the attribute that you mentioned, if you can, if you're in a Mississippi Delta or something and, you know, and you can plow, if you can plow, yeah, you can plow for a couple of bucks a foot labor. If you're building, you know, if you're going through rock, maybe it's $15, $20 a foot. So hugely, uh, uh, the differences are, are, really significant and then there's this aspect in the allocation formula that has high cost money so 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 I, if you're a state that's high cost state you should pay a little bit of attention to that but what i was going to say is the more important thing to me is for the states to emphasize to ntia that what is useful to them are tools that they could use in order to implement their plans and the tools i'm talking about specifically are maps of course um are cost models that is to calculate it's important to know how much it should cost to build something if you're designing a program Um, and then just other things like program design what programs work better He, he back to what i was talking about earlier it's it's important in designing a program to know how you're going to implement it, and it, and if you're if you if you're a state with an average broadband office of a couple of people, and and so, and those people are maybe new because the old people thought they could make more money by leaving and you know <laughs> making money applying for funding, than, than reviewing the applications, um, you should take into account your program design that that allows you to review applications or have a funding mechanism that doesn't depend heavily on a lot of engineers, a lot of reviewers, a lot of consultants helping you. So so what NTIA, it seems to me, could really help the states with, and therefore what the states should be asking for now over the next six months, is assistance. Assistance in implementing the plans that they come up with. What I fear will happen instead is that NTIA, because, you know, developing tools is not the sexiest part of people's jobs, usually. Um, I mean, I have a whole mapping team, and I assume they think it's sexy. But, but you know, usually, no, cost modeling or, or, again, design of what's a way I can set up an application portal that allows me to, you know, it's like... So the federal government does run lots and lots of funding programs, and they could start to make the resources that they've developed. Our U.S. has a portal. Um, the various federal agencies have portals for intaking applications. You can do things that would help states. That's what I think NTIA would focus on, should focus on. But instead, I, I fear what they'll focus on are policy issues. And, and, and by that, I mean, you know, they've just been given a lot of money, and NTIA usually doesn't have this much money for broadband. They've been, the, they've been the, the you know poor stepchild to the FCC when it comes to funding over the last 20 years, looking longingly at all the money that the FCC spends. And now, by some quirk in the last year, NTIA got the money and the FCC didn't, aside from the Emergency Broadband Benefits Plan, which has now been converted to the Affordable Connectivity Plan. So NTIA is likely, given its history and given things it's done in other programs and given what it's said, it's likely to, to set out the, the program design. That is, when a state applies for its funding, it will have to meet certain criteria that NTIA sets out. It'll probably have policy instead of here's how to help you spend the money, and the policy will likely include net neutrality guidelines. It will likely include labor uh, wage standards, so old Davis-Bacon-style prevailing wage standards. It will likely have some kind of open access preference. It will likely have something, I don't know. you, You get the idea. There's all kinds of policy issues that have been argued about for a long, long time, and and my advice to the states in talking to NTIA through their governors, through others, through their advocacy is say, hey, the idea here was to let the state solve the broadband problem. So let us solve the broadband problem. Don't lard up our programs. With your clever policy ideas, we may agree with some of your ideas. We may disagree with some of your ideas. But just help us spend the money in the most efficient way possible so we can get broadband to unserved areas. Because for the past decade, the federal government has spent over $100 billion, and we have approximately the same number of unserved by broadband households today as we did in 2011. So stop with the policy. Help us with tools. Allow us to efficiently build and have your policy arguments somewhere else.
1: So I hear some frustration in there. Probably I'm going to guess maybe from the fact that ReConnect um, has a number of these things in it now and it's still uh, a bear to navigate. And I feel like maybe you're thinking, you know, if you're going to put time into federal problem, maybe you should figure out how to make these things easier to comply with rather than adding in these extra Extra things you said, but it strikes me that the tools you want to build require like a hundred times more uh, staff time than someone that says we should have them require. You know, we should have them abide by net neutrality. Yeah, let's have them abide by net neutrality. To me, that seems like a, a meeting as opposed to like building. A, does it really sap a lot of time uh, for NTIA to like say let's require net neutrality? Um, as I mean, it seemed, it seems like there's a false equivalence here that you're sort of putting into those um, the amount of time it takes to do those two things.
0: Well, If you say like, yeah, it's really easy to do one. Well, I might be wrong.
1: I mean, I might be wrong about that. No, no.
0: I mean, you know, opinions are easy, right? That's all policy is, opinions. (laughs) That's easy. Tools. If you ask me to code something, I, I, you know, I I would turn to somebody who works for me and ask them to do it. Um, Yeah. But it's, and, and so here's, Here's where I'm really going with this. Mm-hmm. I don't think the states or the public at large or at the FCC or i don't I don't think we should wait for NTIA or the states or anybody to do that. I think there should be a separate movement, and you know you, in your position that this is I, I I've always understood, like core to what you all believe at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, we ought to do things to help ourselves. I would rather see the public, public interest groups, others come together and create open source tools for the states to use. I don't think NTIA will do it.
1: Mm -hmm. I I think
0: the states should ask NTIA to do it. Mm -hmm. But just like I don't think, you know, you should wait on federal money or you should wait on somebody else to help you, Um, If you can come together as a community, and in this case, the community is those who are without, I think there are enough people who know how to code and map and have familiarity with program design, and I'm a strong believer in open source tools. So my main criticism of the FCC maps is not so much what I was saying before, the approach or the lack of anticipation of challenges, it's that it's secret right now. The process is secret. The information is proprietary. Now, under the Data Act, it's supposed to become available public someday. But I would rather that they take an open source type of process and make that available to us all, public, us, at an early stage. But I also don't think we should wait for it. I think we as a public... Should start to develop these tools that could be used by states and have it be anybody who wants who wants to lend a hand. this is you know the only business idea policy idea approach i've ever had in my life, which is an old stone soup approach. if you're going to come together as a community and each you, each in the community contributes what it can to help the community as a whole let's do that let's stop waiting around for somebody else to come save us. And, and I think there are enough people of skill and goodwill to do just that, to develop the tools so that the states that would like to avail themselves of better approaches could do that. I think we should still ask NTIA, but I don't think we ought to wait on NTIA. Mm-hmm. I think we should ask the FCC. Again, I, the FCC is filled with really smart, skilled people, but they don't hold all the wisdom.
1: And what you're talking about, because you keep saying tools, like I feel like there's a bunch of people out there who have these skills. Some of them are already trying to di- build maps and data sets and things Absolutely. To with those skills. What we, we talked about before in a previous show about a need to have this sort of open source fabric in which we know where the addresses are, and there's some assumptions about what is a reasonable cost to provide service to this person or to build a network that serves this group of people. Is that what you're talking Absolutely. about? Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. I You know, I talk to local communities all of the time, county officials, um, parish officials, community organizations, you know, they, they hire consultants, they pay money for, for consultants. And I'm not trying to, you know, take away money from other people who develop these tools and sell them. I'm just saying that 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 there are folks who can't necessarily afford the tools and there ought to be an open source approach. I know you're associated with a group, um, humanity Connect. connect humanity. Sorry, I get the name backwards. Um, and they've got to my way of thinking, they got the same, you know, the same ethos, the same, this, this, this is what we're about. Let's help people develop the skills, the tools, the, so that they can help themselves be connected. That, to me, is a better use of our time. It doesn't replace the advocacy, but it's a better use of our time while we're waiting. Because the worst thing we could do is just wait and then be, you know, disappointed at the end of it all.
1: (laughs) Especially, I mean, I I just have to say, like, I have... I have significant questions about the direction that um Secretary Raimondo would would take this given her connections to Cox. I am not at all convinced that Alan Davidson as NTIA chief will be super enthusiastic about doing anything that is not like supported by 80% of his stakeholders. And so I you know I don't want to run either one of those people down not knowing them myself, but I also think that there's reason to believe that NTIA will not come out and surprise us with the kinds of tools that you're talking about or a kind of outside the box approach to this
0: i I worked at one point for cox and comcast and tci and charter and you know sprint and telephone companies and cable companies all over the world i don't have any right you you work in the role that you then have like you should be devoted to whatever role you're in now
1: Oh, I agree, but not everyone is as independently minded as you are. So, and especially when you don't know a field, you you rely on those that you've trusted in the past to help you understand what's good and what's bad. And so,
0: my main point to all of this is the forty-two point four five billion dollars that goes to the states; the other, the couple of billion more that's going to go to other programs, NTIA and RUS, and it, it is more than enough money. It's probably twice as much money as is necessary to build fiber networks to every single unserved home in the country. It's enough money. We have spent as a nation far more than that in the last 10 years, more than $100 billion in the last 10 years, and didn't achieve broadband. But we have this money now. And maybe we have the experience of what didn't go right in the last 10 years, maybe. And we have an opportunity now to get it right <laughs> this, this time. Let me just bring the kernel.
1: Yeah, no, you're, let me just be clear, though. Like, I think the language of like being right is actually instructive. Because from the point of view of the cable and telephone companies, we did it right. We gave them most of that money, and they used it. And that was a success from their point of view. So I just want to be clear, like not everyone would agree that we didn't succeed. We didn't succeed in sort of like from a point of view of what you and I would like to do, what the people who are living in those areas wants to do. But I think it's really useful to remember that from the point of view of CenturyLink, AT&T, Frontier, we absolutely succeeded in doing what they want. And they're telling people that it was smart what we did. You know, Michael Riley's still going around saying we don't need a Cadillac out there. So let's be clear about that. Between you and me, no, you know, there ain't the a person in the
0: country who would think that that you're more cynical than I am, but, but you're more cynical than I am. I think we can get it right this time, or we can get it right in enough places, because I think there are, I think there are new players this this time around, but we don't learn. So here's the here's the biggest. Let me use one example of something. we don't seem to learn. I mean, you know, I, there's folks working on like you know machine learning so we can teach machines to teach themselves maybe maybe that's right because people don't seem to learn i here's the he, the fcc rolled out this emergency broadband benefits plan a virtuous plan give poor people more money good i'm all for that um and i think if if you and i spoke back then while that plan was being designed or when that that may be the last time we we spoke. I said I would have said that there's going to be fraud in that plan because when you pour a lot of money, when you just when when you just leave money lying around all over the place, don't be surprised when 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 others other than the virtuous, you know, pick are attracted up the money. to it. Yeah, don't be surprised you have you you have this this attraction of the money and the money attracts all sorts of folks and in this case it attracts people who are you know selling phones out of the out of the trunks of cars that's the history of that FCC program mm-hmm. that is that's just that that program EBB was just modeled on the other FCC low income programs
1: Life-finals. and I'm not yeah. one who
0: says all oh, oh, the fraud shows that you know this this was the argument about the so-called obama phone and everything and i lived through that this was the argument against that this was the argument to say oh people are going to cheat the system i don't believe people will cheat the system i believe people are fundamentally honest but you better design your program so as to avoid the unscrupulous actors out there otherwise all of the honest people, all of the people in need, all of the people of low income who could get advantage of this program are going to be the ones who suffer. And that program design ignored the lessons of the past. And they just once again implemented, and not an imperfect design, a, a, a design that attracted the worst sorts of abuse. And you're going to keep getting that unless you design these programs correctly. But there's, again, something that I don't trust the government to get these things right. So maybe the best thing we can do on something like that is get some some institutions that are the trusted institutions. Have like safe harbor institutions that do the, the vetting, that participate in the way that you know that if you're getting the service through that institution, it's a safe service. Do something different in the design.
1: Well that's this is my argument exactly.
0: That inspector general's report that was issued a couple of weeks ago, why was anybody surprised at all the fraud?
1: Well, so let me let me. This is why I absolutely believe government should have a preference for entities that are accountable in ways other than the way private sector companies are accountable. Co-ops, muni's, nonprofits, less so. Co-ops and muni's because there's a there's a governance already built into it that should resist the fraud. That doesn't a hundred percent. You still need audits. You still need inspectors. Fine, but I I want to say that I don't think I don't I would reject the idea that I'm cynical in what I'm saying about that. What I'm saying is is that like. We have to understand the role that, like Comcast and, and these other companies play in the system, not because they're evil, but because they're self interested. And the fact that they keep getting the way of setting the agenda is what bothers me. I don't think it's permanent. Uh, you know, I think we can find ways around it, but I also feel like we need to confront the fact that when this program is implemented by NTIA, it will have many more fingerprints from the cable companies that have bought the influence than me and you. Maybe me. <laughs> Maybe you'll have more influence. So I, that's what I'm trying to get at. Like, and I don't want people to take away from this. We can't get things right because we absolutely can't. We do things well. And and it's important to do that. So um, we, got, we got just a minute or two left. We've covered a lot. I feel like it's very good advice in terms of we need to develop these tools. Um, I think we need to steer them toward the electric co-ops as long as we're talking about unserved. Uh, you know, when it comes down to the the need within municipal areas, it's less of an issue for you because the electric co-ops aren't there. Um, that's where I see more of a role for the munis. But I absolutely think states should um, preference the co-ops to get this money, electric co-ops in particular. Um, and... And it shouldn't be like this, like, you know, I'm excited that Wisconsin and Iowa have some preferences, but it's like 1% of the points. It should be a serious preference. And that's one of the things that states can do. That's one of the things states are encouraged to do when they're developing these uh, point systems. So anyway, what are your last comments as we're running out of time here?
0: The same thing, the opportunity that's before us without all the high flown rhetoric, this, this is it. This is our chance to get it right in terms of will we be revisiting the question of rural broadband 10 years from now or 5 or 30 will we keep revisiting this question or will we get it right i don't hear a lot of people talking about the you know the need to get electricity out into rural areas <laughs> so why and 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 the electric grids built in rural areas were built without subsidies. There were low-interest loans, and that's not the same thing. They were built without grants. They were built... We're now spending tens of billions of dollars. We have already spent tens of billions of dollars. This is all achievable. Uh, To me, it's only achievable if if you get the direction right. And I still don't think the direction is is right. Not, Not as... So in in a way, the infrastructure bill is just a money bill. There's no policy in it. But to the extent they put some policy in it, man, they got that wrong. Why would you you put speeds in statute? That policy is wrong. If you want to build long-term infrastructure, that is, don't revisit this question in 10 years or 20 years from now, Then invest the public's money in long term infrastructure, period. Um, If you do that, I've said this before to you, there's a lot of things that can't be solved. We can't resolve questions of, ah, you know, the point at which life begins, which is, you know, present right now before the Supreme Court. We can't resolve. The questions of Mideast, peace, we can't resolve climate change issues right now. I wish we could. But this, man, this is kid stuff. This one can be fixed. Let's fix one thing and move on to the other more complicated issues in life
1: let us leave people with with a, with kind of a downer which is i think one of the reasons that we know that you're right john is because dictatorships are actually getting this right or near dictatorships where they're engaging in this policy and they don't have to worry about upsetting the stakeholders or the stakeholders are their cronies anyway um you know they're often building fiber that's what china's doing um and uh and i think open societies have more of a challenge because you have to take into effect the votes of people who are wrong <laughs> like and so uh there's a bit of a challenge there but I have I have faith that we're going to get it right over time. It's going to take longer and it's going to be more expensive than if you and I were the dictator, but uh it's kind of the price we pay in some ways I think.
0: So the the opposite point of view, I'll give the more hopeful point of view of that is I I think to the extent and this this appropriation of funding gets this part more right than in the past, the more you can change the locus of decision making to local levels the, the closer you'll get to at least allowing people to, to make their own bad decisions or good decisions. Yeah, absolutely. If people have to live with their own decisions and just, you know, complain about the decisions
1: of their leaders. Yeah, you see this in West Virginia and Mississippi. There's no way that they want to give money to AT&T or to Frontier. They've learned. So absolutely, you're right there. You've I mean, you got money,
0: money now. Money'll go from the federal to the states, some of the states will have that money go from the states to more local areas. You could allocate the funding down to a more local level and and people live with their decisions. Again, mm-hmm. I you know, I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. I can live with my decisions. But I'd rather live with my decisions than, you know, have to live with somebody else's.
1: Right. It's a good place to leave it. John, I really appreciate it. I want to have you back um, sometime soon. There's, there's tons to talk about. I really appreciate all the work you're doing. Thank you. All right, man. Good to be with you. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadband bits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at community nets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handles is at muninetworks. licensed through Creative Commons. This was the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Thanks for listening.